computer. Welcome to the Living the Writing Life podcast. My guest today is Carissa Turpin, author of the novel Doomsday Danny. Carissa grew up in a small eastern Kentucky town where she fell in love with storytelling in all its forms. She began teaching high school English in 2008 near her hometown, where she remained for 10 years before relocating to Phoenix, Arizona, where she made the switch to teaching middle school. In 2021, Carissa left Arizona and returned to Kentucky to continue teaching middle schoolers. Right now, she lives in Louisville with her miniature schnauzer puppy named after Leonardo DiCaprio and one too many books. In today's conversation, we'll be talking about how she explored the challenges of preteen and adolescent years through fiction. Welcome to the show, Carissa. Well, thank you so much for that kind introduction. Thank you for having me. Oh, it is my pleasure. And I want to start out by congratulating you on the release of your debut novel, Doomsday Danny. What is it like to join the ranks of published authors? Was this always a dream of yours to write a book? Oh, definitely. You know, I can remember being, you know, five or six years old and um, looking through like my little golden books and kind of making the realization that like someone made those. Um, You know, I've always wanted to be a writer before I think I could even like form letters with a pencil. I was like putting like little um, construction paper books together and um, reading those out loud. I also am from Appalachia. And so there's a rich history there of storytelling, um, passing stories down from generation to generation. So I think it's a part of my, you know, my heritage, my background, but then I also think it's just always been a dream of mine to, you know, as someone who loves books, loves collecting books and and sniffing books as weird as that is, um, you know, it's always been a dream of mine to see my own name on a book. So this these last few days have really felt like a dream come true for sure. Oh, that's just wonderful. And yeah, I know the first book is always it's like so exciting cuz like you said it's a dream come true and you know, I'm sure there was a lot of days where you thought, eh, this is going to remain a dream. You know, right. I don't think it'll ever happen. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, really, it's it's and it's so wonderful. You know, like you said, you come from an area that is known for its storytelling. So to be able to carry on that tradition in printed form. I mean, this is this is just this is just a great opportunity for you. I so agree. I, I'm kind of curious. Um, you chose to set the book in 1999. What was your reason for doing so? You know, it was really interesting. Um, at the time when I started writing Doomsday Danny, I lived in Phoenix, Arizona, um, and I was a teacher there. And my students were preparing to leave for the winter break. And they were talking about how strange it would be. It was 2019. Um, and they were talking about how strange it would be to see the calendar go from 2019 to 2020. And I was like, you know, I guess you guys weren't around or weren't even born yet when we had this big thing where the calendar went from 1999 to 2000 and we just thought the world was going to end. And as I was telling them this, I could see like they just got more and more confused the more I spoke about it because in their world, you know, cell phones and technology, these things are very, they work very effortlessly. So the idea that like the time would change and their phone wouldn't change is kind of like unheard of to them. Um, So the more I kept talking about it, the more I realized they knew absolutely nothing about it. And I thought, oh, well, this will be a great like historical fiction novel. And I wrote the idea down and I just kind of like 
put it to the side and I was writing other stuff. Um, and then it wasn't a few months later that COVID hit. Um, Phoenix, Arizona was in particular was a hot spot. So um, it became really important that school shut down right away and that everyone stay indoors. Um, and so I got a lot of emails from my students who were just like, you know, what's going to happen? Are the schools going to be closed forever? Um, you know, they were very confused and very scared. And so I think with that, kind of going on in the background, I was able to sit down and write about a time where young people might have also been scared. Um, but fortunately, it all kind of worked out in the end. And it made me think that maybe, you know, if my protagonist was going to be okay, if she was going to survive 1999, um, then probably we were all going to be okay, too. So um, that that was kind of the inspiration. So it, it's about 1999. And it's set in 1999. But what was happening in real life was uh, the COVID-19 pandemic pandemic. Um, and that, of course, you know, kind of continue or like it helps build the anxiety of of the plot. I, you know, hadn't even realized that. But yeah, you're, you're right. It is that same sort of, you know, the uncertainty that we all went through and everything. But back then in 1999, it was the technology uncertainty. And, right. you know, with COVID, it just ramped it up a whole lot more notches, didn't it? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, you know, um, I have another question. Uh, this is about your your teaching background. You taught both high schoolers and then you switched to doing middle schoolers. So um, and that's what you're teaching now, the, the grade level. So is that why you decided to have a middle grade um, character rather than a high schooler or even do an adult uh, a story with an adult uh, protagonist? I think it was, you know, because I think ultimately I wrote the story for my students. I, you know, I wrote wrote it as a way to say, even though it wasn't explicit, I wrote it as a way to say, you know, you're going to be okay. We're going to be okay. And so because it was a book written for them, I think that was kind of the driving factor. I've always believed, you know, I love YA and middle grade fiction more than I like adult fiction. And, you know, I, I suppose that there's a little bit of shame to that. But, you know, I've always just been a very avid YA reader. And I do truly feel that there's a lot of great middle grade books out there, but there's nowhere near the scope at least in my opinion, that there is in why. Um, so I think when I first started kind of reading middle grade fiction and picking out books for my students, um, I very quickly realized there was much more variety in YA than, than middle grade. And so I think I'm pretty happy to stay, you know, should, should this be somewhat successful, um, I think I'm pretty happy to stay in the middle grade genre just because I think it is such an interesting like slice of life. Um, young people are really just kind of figuring out who they are are and who their friends are and it, it's just a really interesting age to be um not to say that I won't write why or adult fiction at some point I hope I do but um you know middle grade was kind of what I I settled with because that's that's what I was you know engrossed in at the time I was a middle grade teacher I was worried about my middle grade students um but since then I've really grown to appreciate and enjoy middle grade fiction so um I'm I'm pretty uh excited to be part of the genre Oh, well, that's, I, and you know, that's the most important thing is to write what excites you, mm -hmm. you know, not, I, I remember reading, and I can't think of the author's name, but he said, you know, don't write for the market. Don't write because this is selling hot right now, because heck, by the time it comes out, it may not be hot anymore anyways, but write what you're passionate about, write what excites you, because that's what's going to make the story come alive. Absolutely. 
So I, 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 I think you're definitely on the right track there. Um, now, you know, th this whole character of Danny, how would you describe her when the book opens? And then how does her personality and character develop as the story continues? That's a great question. Um, Danny is a 12 year old uh, middle grade, you know, student. And in a lot of ways, she's pretty normal. She has um, a few a few people at school that she's close with. She has sort of an antagonist, a bully uh, situation going on. But she's also very different in that she's got a number of stressors in her life. Um, her parents are going through a divorce. Like I said, she's she's dealing with this school bully. And instead of kind of facing those stressors head on or maybe getting adult assistance in solving those particular situations, um, she instead becomes fixated on something completely different. And that, that something completely different is Y2K. Um, she, you know, one of the big things that I wanted to do uh, in the book was to talk to kids, you know, not directly, obviously, but to to somehow bring up the subject of whether or not a person is credible online, um, whether or not we can believe someone who is telling us to do something or buy something online. I think, you know, as adults, that's a difficult thing to do sometimes. And I think as kids, um, you know, because they have so much access to online information, it's even more challenging. Um, so Danny, in particular, because she is in such a vulnerable place, she becomes very like glued into this particular blogger who says, you know, okay, you need to stockpile your uh, emergency supplies, and you need to have extra water, and you need to have a game plan. And oh, by the way, please send me money and buy things from my online store. Um, and so, you know, we as readers are like, oh my gosh, big red flag. Um, but for Danny, this is something that she can do and, and fixate on so that she can avoid kind of what is happening um, in her world. And of course, we know as readers that the uh, predicted Y2K disaster never transpired. Um, so we know that she's headed toward this disappointment. So I think in in the way that she grows in the novel, it's it's interesting to see her put all her time and energy and thought into this one thing and then sort of deal with the fallout and the embarrassment when that one big thing doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. And that is, you know, the humiliation factor when you're mm -hmm. in school. I mean, heck, it's hard enough when you're an adult. Exactly. But uh, I mean, in, in school, it is it is just horrible. What what do you hope your readers take away from Danny's experience? Um, I hope that they, you know, it, it's twofold. Um, like I, I mentioned earlier, I really hope especially young readers come away thinking, okay, you know, the next time I go to share a news article or a video or whatever, I'm going to pause and think about whether or not this speaker is credible. There's actually a teacher's guide in the back of Doomsday Danny um, that talks a lot about how you can... Um, you know, evaluate the credibility of a, an online source, which I think is really important. So if young people in particular came away um, with that particular lesson, I think that would be great. I think for older readers, um, and, you know, one of the things that I've said is that I hope I have as many adult readers who are reading for the nostalgia factor and the Tamagotchis and the Furbies and the, you know, the uh, Y2K, various Y2K things. Um, for the adult readers, I hope that they are able to kind of put themselves in the shoes of a scared kid. Um, I think we look at things like Y2K. One of the reasons why I think my students didn't know anything about Y2K is because I think as a, as adults, we're kind of embarrassed of that period. And we're like, oh, you know, it, it didn't come to be. How silly. 
Um, and so, you know, we might have the tendency then to uh, dismiss a lot of things that they truly are scared of. Um, but I think it's important to remember that especially your preteen years are scary time. And then when the world is scary, um, that makes things even more difficult. So I think for my young readers, it's going to be the hope that they look at their media with, you know, more of a, um, more of an analytical eye. And then for my older readers, it's going to be, you know, having patience with the young people in your life who show anxiety or worry over things that you might seem see as pretty trivial. Well, I'm thinking that reader's guide would be a good thing for a lot of adults to read yep. too, because it is really amazing how many people, because they saw it online, they think it's true. Mm -hmm. And it, it's like, wow, you know, honestly, people. But, um, you know, I always like to ask authors, what did you learn about yourself in the process of writing this book? Were there times where you found yourself identifying with Danny? in spite of the age gap? I, I definitely think so. You know, when I when I wrote the book, it was in the, the height of COVID and we were all on lockdown and quarantine. Um, and at that time I lived alone. I, my family was still in Kentucky. Um, I couldn't go to work anymore because that, that was over. Um, the only like real human interaction I had was, you know, when I would do video calls with people or, or what have you. So I, I think, you know, looking back at that time, I think I was truly afraid. I was scared. I wasn't sure, you know, what life was going to be like a week from, from, you know, one day to the next. So um, that was a really scary period of time for me. And to be able to channel that into this novel, um, I think was really helpful. But I think it, 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 like, I could definitely identify with Danny because um, just like Danny is very much like, okay, you know, the world is going to change and we have to be ready. Um, I can remember going on Amazon and buying like, you know, 24 rolls of toilet paper and thinking that that was something I really truly needed, even though as an adult, I'm supposed to be a little more level headed than that. Um, so just as Danny was just panicking and thinking that the world was going to completely change. Um, I, I too felt that way. I think I was a little more correct um, than, than Danny was, but still just, you know, the loneliness and the um, anxiety, it was certainly there for me as well. And um, I think it's a good reminder that all throughout history, we've had, situate unprecedented times that just continue to occur. Um, and, you know, so I definitely felt she was a kindred spirit in, in that, uh, in that way. Yeah. And, and it had to also, I don't know about you. I, I know during COVID when I was writing, cause I lived, I live alone too, is it's almost like it helps with the loneliness because even mm -hmm. though you're making up the character the character becomes so real to you that it's like having that person there, you know? Yeah. It's, um, yeah. It, it's, you know, you, you tell non-writers that and they think you're nuts, but yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, it, it, it's hard to just say, Oh, that was just a character I made up because you reach a point where the character is telling you what's happening. You're mm -hmm. not sitting there telling the character. Now you've got to do X, Y, Z. The character is like paying it, pay attention to me because this is what I'm doing and you better write it down correctly, you know? So it is, it is a strange experience. I think. It really is. <laughs> and, you know, now that we're talking about writing, let's go into, are you a pantser or a plotter? You know, I've done a little bit of both. Um, I feel like the plot for Doomsday Danny was a lot of pantsing. You know, I just, 
COVID happened and I was like, okay, I got to, I'm going to sit down and start writing this. I was really fortunate that early on I bought some sort of writing outline novel guide. I, I wish I could remember the specific name. I had never used anything like that before. You know, I'd gone through, I've got an MFA and I was like, you know, this, this, I guess at one point I thought I didn't need something like that. Um, but I used it and it helped me considerably. Um, and so since then I've always been very much a, at least a few notes, you know, I'm, uh, I like to at least have my, you know, three big events planned out. Um, and that usually helps, but yeah, it, it's very rare that I, just sit down and rot and it just works out perfectly anymore. I wish that were me. I wish I were a pantser, but unfortunately I don't think I am. Well, you know, the, the challenge, I tend to be a, a pantser and, and I know, you know, it's, it's one thing to be a pantser when you're writing short pieces, mm -hmm. it's easy to go back and check things and tweak them. But when you're doing like the novel I just finished was 85,000 words. And oh my goodness. But I'll tell you what, I, I have one of those software programs. And I screwed it up so badly that I said, okay, this isn't going to work. I have to use something that I have already used in my writing life because I've been a writer my whole life. So I actually use a combination of an Excel spreadsheet mm -hmm. and EndNotes. Yeah. I mean, I, I probably have as many pages of EndNotes as I do of the actual um, novel, but it is so much easier when you're trying to check something really quick. And then, mm -hmm. oh, and then the other thing I do, because mine tended to be very like calendar oriented, because that's how I am, is I downloaded a blank year calendar, like like the story I'm working on now took place in, in 2022. So I downloaded an entire blank year's calendar, right? And as if, if she is supposed to do something on such a date, I put it in the calendar because it's like, okay, now I know. And then when it actually shows up, it's easy for me to go back and say, oh yeah, that's the day she's supposed to, because otherwise, you know, sometimes you get, because you're not working on them straight through, you're doing some and then you go to your other life. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I mean, that calendar has helped me. I mean, it's probably the hokiest way of writing novels, but you know what? It works for me. Yeah, I, I think that sounds great. And I definitely had to print out a 1999 calendar um, as I wrote the book and constantly say, okay, was that a Tuesday or was that a Wednesday or what was going on? Um, another interesting little caveat was um, Phoenix, Arizona, where the book is set, doesn't observe daylight savings time. Um, so then I had to kind of think about how I was going to address that. So yeah, those are one of the most uh, frustrating things about being a writer is those little, little tiny details that um, you know, you kind of get into the weeds and I definitely found myself in the weeds a few times. Oh yeah. And, and I can guarantee the one time where we don't double check something, the person who reads the book will double check it. And then they'll come back and say, that wasn't the right day or, you know, right. that year, that's not the, you know, Christmas took place on a Sunday, not on a Saturday. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I am, I am just, you know, I'm terrified by, by things like that, you know, absolutely. So, you know, I know you've had shorter pieces published in, in literary journals, right? Mm -hmm. So what was it like? How many, roughly, how many words was is Doomsday Danny? 
So Doomsday Danny is on the short side. Um, I've always been a very concise writer. My my difficulty, I have all the respect in the world for people who write these 100,000 word novels. I wish that were me, um, which is another reason why I think middle grade is, is probably pretty suited. Um, but Doomsday Danny was a little over 40,000 words. Um, and, you know, I felt I there were many times where I wondered if I should try to push it to 50 because I in my mind that's what a novel is a novel is the 50k um but I I just felt like the story was complete as it was um you know so so it's definitely on the shorter side but it's just a little over 40,000 words so it it still had to be significantly different from writing the shorter pieces you've had published so were there times when you said I must be nuts this, this is this baby's really growing here <laughs> Yeah, for there were several times that I wondered if this were really, you know, I've always wanted having pieces, having short pieces published is great and um, exciting and you love to see those in print. Um, but I think my heart has always wanted to see a book. And so, you know, I knew that probably that wasn't going to happen until I stepped up my word game. Um, and so it was difficult at times, you know, I felt like I had said, everything I needed to say. Um, I've always, you know, kind of struggled with, I read these books and I just fall in love with these characters. And, you know, I would like agonize over the fact that my characters didn't feel as multifaceted as maybe characters in books that I was picking up. Um, and so something that actually helped me was in this outline book that I got. Um, and it was a suggestion I'd seen all over the place, which was to create like mood boards or idea boards for your characters. And I thought, oh, that's so silly. I'm not going to do that. I don't have time for that. Um, but of course, when you're on lockdown, you have time for everything. So I uh, sat down and I, I printed out, you know, pictures of what I thought the mom looked like and the dad. And um, I was able to really visualize the characters, I think, and give them more depth. And that that certainly helped. But yeah, it was definitely a challenge at times. And, you know, I'm very lucky that mostly middle grade fiction is on the short side. Um, but yeah, I am hoping to get up to that 50,000 word count one day. <laughs> Now, just in general, not necessarily working on Doomsday Danny, but just in general, when you're you're writing um, some of your other work, have you had any issues with writer's block? And if so, can you pinpoint what triggered it? Because people are always talking about that, that, you know, oh, I want to sit down and write. I've got writer's block. And, you know, then when you drill down, you you start noticing, well, this is probably what's triggering it or that. So... What about you? Have you have you been hit with writer's block? Oh, oh, definitely. Um, you know, I was I've always said that Doomsday Danny actually was the fastest story I've ever written. And so, you know, I would say 90% of the time I have writer's block, but for some reason with this particular novel, I experienced it less, but I still certainly experienced it. Um, I think, you know, whenever I hit one of those roadblocks that were connected to getting into the weeds, like what we were talking about earlier, where I was like, okay, you know, she's going to celebrate New Year's Eve at a different time than the rest of the country. This is too hard. I'm going to just throw in the towel. Um, so whenever a situation like that would happen, I would start getting really frustrated with the details and um, not being able to remember, you know, when you're writing about something that is in the past, but is in the near past, I guess is, is a good way to put it. 
um, you're trying to remember little details like were there video cameras? What did, you know, were there digital? You, you start to really kind of research the technology because I was 15 years old in 1999 and I can only remember a little bit of it. Um, so trying, worrying that I was getting those details um, historically accurate would always just send me down a rabbit hole that would just end with me wanting to not rot anymore. Um, I think that whenever those situations happened, the way that I would try to work myself out of it is either just like take a break, walk away from it. Um, or I would like skip that part and start working on a part that maybe I was looking forward to. Um, those have really only been the two things that have ever worked for me in my writing career. Yeah, no, that that makes sense. I mean, because you have to, if, sometimes if you just keep pounding on it, it just gets worse. And then, yeah. and then it, that whole writer's block just keeps getting bigger. So yeah, I, I see no, I see no flaw. I mean, I, I used to do that a lot when I used to write a lot of magazine articles and, and there's uh, a thing called, if you get stuck somewhere or, you know, you got to put in some information they would say, just put TK, the letters T. Sure. In the, okay. And I mean, I, I'd be working on something, whether it was, you know, my fiction or an article for somebody. And I'd know I'd have to go look something up or double check something. And I TK, 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 because yep. it's easy to find it after. Right. Mm -hmm. But yeah, because you're right. If, if you stop and start researching that rabbit hole, Mm -hmm. And pretty soon you've kind of lost your whole train of thought as far as the work you were actually doing. So, right. yeah, it's sometimes I think if it's going to be research heavy, try to just say, okay, I'm not going to write today. Today is when I'm going to research this, mm -hmm. download everything that you need so that you have it there. And then it's right at your fingertips instead of, you know, somewhere online. On that, Wikipedia. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, God help us. Um, <laughs> Now, did you use any beta readers as you were working on your book? I was really fortunate in that I have um, a really close group of friends from um, near my hometown and who did the MFA program with me. And we have had, I think it might have started during the pandemic. Um, we have had a discord writing group that meets like every three weeks or so. Um, and, you know, because we have been together so long as MFA students and now as people who are trying to publish, um, we're just very comfortable with each other's work. We're very comfortable um, handing out, you know, sometimes pretty harsh critiques. Um, and I think it's so important that people find a group like that. I think it's hard, um, you know, to, to find people you feel super comfortable with and who's advice and critiques you you take well um but for me they were just absolutely instrumental in um editing doomsday danny helping me edit doomsday danny and getting it ready for publication so they were i i definitely owe them one. <laughs> oh yeah i mean you you can't do it yourself you know you can't right. because for one thing we're too close to it mm -hmm. and for another thing we don't always see what's actually there or we don't see or we think something's there that isn't. I mean, I cannot tell you how many times, you know, I will send something I'm working on to a beta reader and they'll come back. Do you realize you missed an entire word? Mm -hmm. you know, and I'm like, I swear that word was there, you know, right. but yeah, you know, so we can't or or because something makes sense to us because we understand the character so intimately. Um and then somebody reads it. And what's really good is when it's somebody also who is not from the area your character's mm -hmm. in, 
And so you use a particular term and your beta reader comes back and says, what exactly are you talking about? I, I've never heard that phrase. Be and I'm like, well, we know what it meant, but that's exactly we all live in Youngstown, Ohio, right? Right. This person lives somewhere out in California. So it's, um, yeah, it gets to be a, a so useful to get beta readers in because they really, and, and they can also tell you when, okay, you've made that point. You've made that point 15 mm -hmm. different times. Right. We start eliminating some of those, right? Yeah. yeah. It is. It is so, so critical. So, you know, everybody thinks all it takes to write a book is you just sit down and write and blah, blah, blah. And then you put it online and whatever, or, you know, publish it and people are going to buy it. Well, don't we wish, um, <laughs> you know, so now we get into the business side of it, which is the marketing part of it. Now, how much did you know about book marketing before you did this? Oh gosh, not, not a lot. Um, like I said earlier, I, I did go through an MFA program. So they taught us a lot about like how to write query letters and how to write like a book proposal and that sort of thing. So, so I knew those things kind of going into it. Um, but book marketing has been something completely new to me. And honestly, I find it pretty fun um, at this point. Now, once I publish like three or four more, I might, you know, grow to hate it. Um, I think because of the subject matter of the book, it's been really fun to, you know, something I did recently was I found like the top five songs in 1999 and I played them for my middle school students and I had them write down like their thoughts, who they thought sang it and what they thought about the song. Um, and then, you know, I posted that to my social media with, you know, hashtags about 1999 and Doomsday Danny. Um, and it was hilarious, the kind of things they were writing down, um, how they thought a share song was sung by Elton John, just like really, really interesting uh, insights that they had. Um, but just finding ways you know, I think Doomsday Danny has been a fun book to market because of the nostalgia factor, you know, finding Furbies at the flea market and, and that sort of thing. Um, but as far as like how to, it, now that the book is out, it came out on Tuesday, it sold uh, better than, than I expected. Um, but, you know, I find myself saying, how, how am I supposed to keep this momentum going? What do I do next? So I would say, coming up with ideas to introduce people to the book before the book came out, I could think of ways to do that. Um, now that the book is out in the world, I do find myself kind of, kind of at a uh, impasse, I guess. Like I, I'm not sure exactly how to, how to keep it going, but you know, to answer your question, I knew very, very little other than I really wanted to focus on the 1999 aspect of my book. And I tried to use uh, my various social media platforms to, to do that. Yeah. And, and one thing I have learned is because you figure my first book came out in 2004. I mean, that was before we even had eBooks. Okay. So the marketing aspect changes constantly mm -hmm. and I'm always watching what other people are doing because it's like, you know, I'll see somebody's really cool thing on Instagram or Facebook or something. And I'll say, Oh, I could do that. I, I never thought of doing that, right? Exactly. I mean, because, you know, I'm coming into this far older than you are um, from a print background, okay? Mm -hmm. All I ever knew was print media. So, you know, just even making that transition and then as social media became the big thing and everything, it's it's like, I really, you know, I, I mean, when I first started doing social media, it was like, 
quit using commas and and full sentences and periods i mean mm-hmm. you know that just grates me because i come back from a print background exactly but yeah but it's um it is it is an always evolving process so and the other thing is you figure out okay what am i comfortable with some people are more comfortable doing in person things some people are more comfortable doing like we're doing, you know, a podcast, whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's like, hmm, what what do I feel good doing? Not to say you can't grow into those other things, but if you start out where you're most comfortable, mm-hmm. then it's easier to stick your toe in the water of something a little bit different without totally freaking. But yeah, it's um it's a whole it, it's just a whole process and it is a time consuming process because you it really is you always I mean I still promote my first book mm-hmm. and this is my, my sixth one just came out but you always wow. you can't I, I remember um reading uh, another author who said there's only two times you stop promoting a book that's when the book is no longer available or you're dead oh gosh <laughs> I mean, those are the only, because as long as the book is available, Mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes I'm so surprised when, when I'll go on Amazon, you know, on author central and it'll say, Oh, you know, your first book. Oh, it sold three copies. I'm like, huh? You know, because I'm not really doing a whole lot with it, but still, yeah, it's an, it's an always, it's just a whole nother aspect of, of being an author. Um, Now, obviously writing takes a certain amount of time obviously we know teaching takes a whole lot of time how do you how do you juggle the two do you do you tend to do your your own writing um in the summer when you're off how how do you do this I, you know, I, I was really fortunate in that this first novel took place when when there was no school. So um, I, I can't lie and say that I, I balanced both of them because uh, at that time that didn't exactly happen. But since then, I think I have found, um, you know, I I write, you know, on the weekends, in the evenings, um, in the summer, certainly, um, you know, and I think, too, I I am a better writer when I am currently teaching um, because I am someone who writes very dialogue heavy um, novels. And I feel like when I am with my students and listening to their conversations, you know, I have days where I just write down like these weird slang things they say all day. And I just take that home with me. Um, But I feel like when I am actively teaching, it comes more naturally to me. Um, But it's certainly hard. Teaching is a profession that, um, especially since COVID has just demanded more and more of, of the teacher, um, you know, more time and money and energy. And I think in my case, that's, I'm certainly no exception. Um, so, you know, a lot of times I do come home very drained and I don't feel like writing. Um, again, I think it's just waiting for those weekends, those evenings, um, that sort of thing to, to sit down. I'm also really lucky in that, um, I work with, I work at a school that is very supportive of my writing career. Um, they've actually given me some some time off this week to, um, you know, to visit schools and, and to do different things like that. Um, so because I feel like I have their support, um, that, that kind of makes things easier for me. It makes it easier to, you know, leave my class with a substitute and that sort of thing. So I think there, there's really, you know, I hesitate to say that 
uh, what works for me will work for another uh, teacher who wants to be a writer because this is an incredibly difficult profession right now with with people leaving in droves, you know. And so um, I, I think I, I'm really lucky in that I have you know, administration that supports me and, and, you know, free time that I can use. Um, but I think I'll probably not get another one finished until next summer because it is going very slow with my, with my full-time job. So. Hey, you know, it takes as long as it takes. If That's it right. takes you till the end of next summer, so be it, you know, better that you do a good job as a teacher and do a good job as a writer and whatever takes, whatever length of time it takes, then then that is that is all you know. That's it. We can't control that part of it. So you're you're right. Yep. I always like to end my interviews with this question: How do you define success as a writer? What will make you feel successful as a writer? I think for me, especially as a writer of books for young younger readers, and um and and as an educator to find a book that connects with students or to find a book that gets kids excited about reading. Um, probably one of my joys in life is just finding a book that really connects with a class of students. Um, I'm a big advocate in maybe talking to teachers about using books that are not 100 year old classics written by dead white men um, because we live in a time that has like such rich young adult fiction just about any subject you could possibly think of um, and in my before I started writing and submitting a lot um, I had a blog where I would talk to teachers about ways they could use like recent public publications in their curriculum um, so one of my passions is finding a book that connects with reluctant readers um, that really gets kids fired up and excited about, you know, the, the novel they're reading. Um, and so if someday some kids say that Doomsday Danny is their favorite book, or, um, you know, they're, they're excited to talk to me because they love Doomsday Danny or they stay up all night reading Doomsday Danny. Um, to me, that will be success. Um, as a teacher, I have gotten used to not having much monetary success. Um, and so, you know, that really isn't what success looks like to me. I think, um, for me, the reason why I write for young people specifically is because I've seen what, a really great book can do to a child's life and a child's attitude towards school. Um, and so it's my goal to, to maybe one day be that great book. So um, I think that's what success looks like to me. Well, I, I think those are definitely admirable definitions of <laughs> success. And I'm glad you didn't put monetary gains in there because, you know, that, that can be, I mean, it would be nice, but yeah. <laughs> if you, if you write a book thinking you're going to make a million dollars, Okay. Um, <laughs> not going to happen. Right. But, uh, but anyways, you know, I have really enjoyed having you on the show. I mean, I think this is such a, a wonderful thing that you're doing, especially writing for this age group, because I, I think they need to have the kind of books that, you know, like you wrote. And um, I wish you continued success with your next project and with all, all of your writing. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. It was my pleasure. And thanks again for being part of the show. And thanks to everyone who joined us here at Living the Writing Life.